Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Pete Najarian, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. And let's get right to the major market sell-off. The Dow falling more than 500 points at the lows of the day. The Dow and S&P erasing their November gains. But the NASDAQ was a big loser, down 3%, falling deeper into correction territory. And tech is in turmoil. Check out the likes of Facebook. Amazon, Netflix, all getting absolutely crushed today. Facebook now on track for its worst month since May 2013. More on that in just a minute. Plus, Apple and chips, they're getting slammed. Take a look at NVIDIA. That's down more than 10%. This all after reports of smartphone makers cutting production for its newest iPhone models. The tech giant on track for its worst month since the financial crisis. So, as the tech inferno rages on, how much worse can it get? What do you do with tech, guy? Well, Mel, I think how much worse than again in terms of the S&P, I think another 4 or 5%. And a few weeks ago when the S&P was down 5%, you turned to me, you said, what do you think? I said, it can go down another 8 or 9% from here, 14% makes about sense. In terms of where it puts the S&P, it puts it at 25.30. Now, we've sort of vacillated back and forth, but I still think that's in the radar screen. Now, I'll say this quickly, you know, the, the, some of the... The market has changed. Like The feel of the market has definitely changed. And quite frankly, it started with Netflix that reported what was a pretty strong quarter. You saw a huge move to the upside. And look what Netflix done over the last couple weeks. Point being, good news is being discounted. Bad earnings reports are being throttled. And that's an environment change. So I do think you could see... 2530 to the downside in the S&P 500. Yeah, so I think it has a lot to do with the fact that there's just unusually positive sentiment in a very small amount of names that made up a disproportionate amount of the, the indices that they're in, and we know what they, these names are, and also the performance so all year long, making up for these, these small group of mega cap tech names that, you know, you forget at one point this year, Netflix was up 50, 60% in the year. Amazon was up 60% or something. It's still up 30%, although it's down 20 So I think what happened here is investors said this might be as good as it gets and they all headed for the door at the same time that's why we still have this market where we have so many names that are obviously in correction or what, what a lot of people would call crash territory and it's not gonna end listen the way nvidia closed on its second down day closing on the dead low two days in a row like that that's bad news you do not want to try to catch a falling knife like that right now nobody it seems like nobody's buying on the dip so we're seeing all these pullbacks right and before investors have been condi- conditioned to go in and buy when it's down we're not seeing that necessarily no, anymore. And in fact, I think there's been a couple good notes. Morgan Stanley, most yeah. notable, that had you know buying on the dip has not worked in 2018. So it's actually mm-hmm. been a big failure. Dan talks about you know where the index actually isn't really showing uh, the pain that's below the index because actually, uh, and maybe actually the, the difference is about to happen if you get these juggernaut stocks continue to sell off uh, the way they are, which really make up a big component of the index. I would go back to you know you should be watching rates right now. You know 305 in the 10 year. We're we're continuing to tell you that the market does not believe that they're you know, that the economy is either as strong or is that the Fed will take us further. Fed expectations for December, by the way, continue to slip. We're at about 70 percent that they will go in December. And by the way, uh, that could go to 50-50 if you consider the way the market's going. Housing numbers this morning were terrible. People. You know, Mike Wilson was so great. and It was right in front of all of this, right, from Morgan Stanley. Right. He got out there and on this sat right here talking about how he viewed the market itself. And he talked about the idea that he thought tech was going to drag us down. He's been exactly right. Now, now he seems to be a little less bearish, but he's still there. He doesn't, he's not saying, hey, it's time to just go in and start buying. So I think that is a concern. The concern also is that people got burned enough times trying to buy the dips, and now all of a sudden that's not working. So that's a real problem. But I still think you look for quality. I think there are opportunities out there. I'll give you a great example, something like an NVIDIA. Now, 
When it was trading at wow. 60 times, when it, everybody wow. loved it yep. at 200. We talked about that yep. earlier today. 200 bucks, guys, they love NVIDIA. God, they do everything right. They're in crypto. They've got this. Wow. They've got that. Data centers. And now they've decelerated a little bit in data centers, right? So that was the problem. That was part of and what... Crypto. And crypto. And crypto. Game. Revenues dipped significantly in terms of the projections for Q4. But you know what? At some point, I'm not saying it's yet, and guys better with the tech, tech, uh, technicals than I am, but at 145, it now trades at 18 times earnings. That it's finally something where I think you can look at a name like that and say, you know what? At 18 times, maybe it is a buy. I haven't bought it yet, though. I'm still looking. Intel. But it's, you're looking. It, well, it's interesting. So I called in to show Thursday, by the way. Thursday. The snowstorm. And what if, a disaster. disaster. I mean, this, that's an and aside. If, like, but if any of our elected officials watch Fast Money, I'm they sure shouldn't. Some they, do. Quite frankly, they shouldn't be. They should be doing their jobs. But if maybe <laughs> they're taking a break and they happen to be watching right now. <laughs> I encourage you to sort of be prepared next time there is a storm. Because in the Northeast, we actually get these from time to time. That being Snow, said, yes. uh, my six-hour car ride. In markets right I actually, your six-hour car in which you didn't get, go anywhere, actually. You went, you went left nowhere. your house. You got down and the then end you of went the back block. to your house. <laughs> it was unbelievable. Anyway, went nowhere. that's an aside. So we called in back and said, Guy, what do you think about NVIDIA? It was 5.30 on the show. I said, you know what? The fact that they guide it down as much as they have, stock overshoots to the upside. I think it's going to overshoot the downside. And my downside target was about 138. So to Pete's point, you know, now you're within a whisper of that stock being interested again, not only on a valuation basis, but on a technical basis. Yeah, so, so why has buy the dip not worked in 2018? I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the fundamentals for these companies are changing. When you think about it, you know, everyone was focused on a couple of names getting to a trillion dollars in market cap. You know, these massive product cycles that were doing it, and they were buying back stock, and the global economy was getting better. You know, all that, that's how we started the year. And then we went down in a straight line. And then we spent most of the rest of the year getting back to those prior highs. What's happened in the last two months? We've seen some chinks in the armor of these stories that you couldn't find them in prior. And let's just let's just name them, okay? Amazon guided this quarter down. We're not going to know until January when we get their holiday sales if they have to do it again. If so, that stock's going back to $1,000. Apple, they had bad iPhone guidance. We all knew it was going to be messy, but if they don't achieve the units in this sector, we're not going to know also about the units and it's going back down i mean that's the story the fundamentals have kind of changed these companies are very mature now and they were trading at kind of some peak levels margins and valuation. so what do you do in this market environment in which you have the slaughter of these tech giants which had been market leadership prior and then you have names like coca-cola trading at its highest level since its ipo back in 1919 well it shows you that there's still a, a lot of money that needs to stay in the market and needs to find a place to go mcdonald's has been outperforming starbucks has been outperforming these are companies that also you know seem to be actually getting through either higher input costs or don't have big trade fears. You know, you talk about what's changed fundamentally, Dan. Uh, you know, what's changed is that actually the trade fears really have affected the business. When Apple tells you that emerging markets really are starting to struggle, and this is where they're going to sell some of those lower-priced phones, uh, it's a big deal. So I, I agree that the places to hide are, are, are becoming fewer, fewer and farther between. But I do think stocks below the surface have removed an enormous amount off of the valuations. And I still think some of the big industrial names, their businesses are not over. And I think actually they've really been priced uh, almost too destructive. And that was one of the other things that Mike Wilson talked about is the fact that in the last year, you're down 18% from where the PEs were a year ago. So you're starting to see opportunities out there. And maybe that means that there are some names that can start to outperform that weren't before. I mean, how, how many years have we talked about Coke on this desk or Pepsi or some of these where they just haven't had that performance? Yeah. J&J and some of the pharma names have. J&J is another one of these names that's been very impressive. 
on these down days. And they're not going there to hide, I don't think. I think there are different elements of what J&J and some of those are offering that gives them the opportunity yeah, but, for pricing but, power, but, but right? But could anyone on this desk sit here and say, yes, you should be hiding out in Coca-Cola You don't right hide now. anywhere. No, but I what know. I'm saying is, yeah. it's like, no, but that's the only reason why these stocks are performing right now. They're considered staples. Look at, like, how McDonald's and, and, and Coke and some of this stuff is acting. I mean, to me, I don't think it makes a lot of sense when the market is now very focused on valuation of growth names, of name, companies that have just changed the world, and you want to go and buy sugar water stocks? It makes no sense at 22 but, times. But well, that, and shouldn't you think about the valuation of these quote-unquote value stocks value or the stocks. defensive stocks? Some of them, some of them look a little stretch right now. Well, quickly, I mean, unravel this. You mentioned pharma. Big cap pharma has been trading well. It has yeah. not been a place to hide. It's actually been a place to be. There's growth. We've talked about that for a long time. Pfizer, since President Trump went after them in the spring, I think, when the stock was trading 37 and a half, it's basically been a straight line to the upside, moves we haven't seen in Pfizer in probably the last 10 years. Procter & Gamble, on the other hand, I don't know. I mean, I think people are racing to it for some perceived safety, but at 20 times forward earnings for Procter & Gamble, is that really where you want to be? I don't think so. All right. Well, uh, one name in the tech fallout, Facebook. It is on track for its worst month in more than five years. The stock continues to get nailed as reports of an internal, quote-unquote, war at the company dominate the headlines. Julia Borson's got more on that story. Julia. Melissa, Facebook losing nearly 6% today. After this weekend, the Wall Street Journal reported on CEO Mark Zuckerberg adopting a more aggressive style, saying with Facebook's at war, he's changing his approach. Now, today, questions shift to how Facebook's issues will impact its user base and its ad dollars. Brian Weezer at Pivotal reiterating accelerating on the stock and warning, quote, advertiser concerns about morality at Facebook are real. Post last week's New York Times articles on the company, we don't see immediate financial impact, but other risks to the business are elevated on many fronts. But Facebook tells me that in the wake of last week's New York Times expose, since its third quarter earnings report, quote, we haven't seen any meaningful trends in advertisers pulling spend. But Facebook is still struggling with a range of challenges, including stagnating user growth. Daily active users in the U.S. and Canada were flat between the second and third quarter, while in Europe, daily users declined by a million. The company's stock has plummeted some 39 percent since its Q2 earnings report. There's a growing expectation of federal privacy regulation, as well as the potential for antitrust scrutiny. And this all comes amid growing criticism of Zuckerberg and COO Sheryl Sandberg. And that slumping stock price has brought the value of Zuckerberg's holdings down by over $8 billion. As for whether we'll see any dramatic changes at the top of the company, that's entirely up to Zuckerberg, who controls the majority of voting shares. Melissa, back over to you. All right, Julia, thank you. Julia Borson in Los Angeles for us. If you thought Facebook had an engagement problem, which it does, core Facebook at least, and you thought it was able to fix the problem, maybe that fix is even harder to do if it's got handcuffs on it handcuffs in terms of regulation. And the amount of money and the, the, the growth in terms of paying people that are there for security reasons and everything else. And we... This stock really started that move to the downside on the announcement of how much money they were going to have to start Down spending. Down 40% from its all-time Yeah, and, and, it was, and that was near around the same time. I, I remember we were going through the earnings report, and then suddenly we see these huge numbers about what they're going to have to spend to grow. Now, we knew that they were going to be spending, but I don't think any of us on the desk thought it was going to be that kind of numbers. And when we saw that, that's when the slide really began to accelerate. I, I think they told us in, in that second quarter number, not only that they didn't know how to price their business, um, that they didn't actually know the cost of 
security. Right. But that, that effectively, that they were not a community of sharing. I repeat this. The, the perception of Facebook's business has changed so dramatically. And so, therefore, the fix on Facebook, if it's a community of sharing, is just a few programmers. You actually do a couple things around the edges. No, this is actually fundamental. This actually tells you. They told you growth was falling down, too, not just the cost out of their business. This is corporate governance. Okay. That's what it is. And you've been all over it, the CNBC.com op-eds. It's been really a treat. A series of us. Them, you go to them, Tim Seymour. There's, there's three, three of them. This three is a, of them. But I want to make one really important yeah, point here. It's an if, if we all work. agree on everything that you guys just said about Facebook, mm-hmm. as an investor, you'd be crazy not to extrapolate to what Google is going to have to deal with in 2019. You're just gonna, I mean, it just makes absolutely no sense to consider the fact that they will not have to take some similar steps. <laughs> They're that not will. the same company, though, Dan. I, I actually disagree with that. I think some of the corporate governance issues at Facebook are ones that really split are screen. a lack of oversight, a lack of visibility. Split screen uh, moment. Well, Let's... I mean, I think it's actually a case where these guys really weren't able to articulate the risks around their company. That it's very hard for me to understand. Tim, there wasn't an investor other than you online at CNBC.com. In July, late July, when, this, when Facebook true. was trading at $217 before that report, who really thought that this was something that they're going to have to deal with in 2019. It was going to be the sort of hit to earnings that made earnings be flat year over year what? after at one point we're expected to be up 20% in 2019. You done? Okay. Why, why with 30% growth in the top line for the last three years, in fact, uh, arguably 35, um, was this stock trading at 16, 17, 18 times going into that number? You know why? The market was telling you. People were not rewarding this management team with a premium. The ultimate value for a company is the multiple you want to put on it. And we were not willing even before the second quarter. Facebook underperformed the triple Qs going into that number, let alone after it. I would argue that this company has been broken for a long time and that the market would not reward it. And the market was right. Is a, is a company capable of fixing itself yes. with the same two people oh. in charge? Well, I mean, it's interesting because I think Pete commented on this earlier today. But when you have Mark Benioff making comments to yeah. the extent that he did about Facebook, I mean, that's... That's not a necessarily a very encouraging thing for the share price. Now, I never thought it was get down to 130 or so. And at a certain point, you have to look at it and say, they will figure it out. But to answer your question, does there need to be a change at the top in terms of Mr. Zuckerberg? I don't Somebody, know. I don't Cheryl know. Sandberg. I don't know the answer to that, but anal- we're closer to that than we've been in a long time. I should say the analyst community is so far off sides on this stock too. If you think about where oh, the overweights are on this targets. company, there's so much <laughs> that needs to come down, and they will come down. They'll come down, you know, the, after the next 20 percent move. Sorry for the sarcasm, but the bottom line is these guys were banging the table at 215, 220 on the stock, and weren't picking up on any of this, and now they're picking up on it. Uh, you know, strange. Coming up, the bears are coming for Boeing. The stock inches away from bear market territory as it is on its longest losing streak since July 2014, but could now be your best chance to buy this industrial giant. Plus, check out shares of L. Brands, a retailer getting slammed after hours. The chartmaster sees something brewing in the retail space that might have you running for cover. He'll explain. It's not all bad news out there. Guy Dami here says there's one energy stock, one. That is poised for a year-end he looks rally. Confused. <laughs> I hope he's not, because he's going to tell you the name. I hope he, he knows steps one. up to the fast so. bitch, fast bitch. Live from Times Square in New York City. Much more fast money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Boeing shares crashing today, closing down more than 4%. The stock now sitting on the verge of a bear market, down nearly 20% from its high last month. It is having its worst losing streak in four years. It's on track for its worst quarter since 2011. So should you buy Boeing, Tim? Well, I'll tell you what. I think it was a final trade for me last week. I don't own the stock, but the the argument and the investment setup is very much the same as it was six months ago. So Dan talked about changing fundamentals. I don't think their fundamentals have changed. I think about 6% of their order book could be affected by China directly. I think other 
otherwise there's a series of long-term orders that these guys have won. They just won the TX order book, another bonus. These guys continue to win. And again, who are they competing against? They, this is a, essentially a duopoly. It's they and Airbus. And who's really winning the war? It's absolutely Boeing. You're talking about 25 bucks uh, per share of free cash flow. It's been unbelievable. That story is alive and well. And I don't think is affected really at all by the trade war. So but I actually like this week. How about the max? How about the problem with the max? Yeah, well, the, I mean, they definitely have headline risk right now. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's the big concern. And that's part of what I think is really pushing it down. Because to your point, I mean, they're throwing off cash like crazy. It's absolutely incredible. And now with this pullback we've seen in the stock, the P.E. is a lot more appetizing at an 18 than it was in the 20s not too long ago. So I think there's a lot of reasons to look at this name. And when we start to see a turn, this is a name I'd be looking at. I think you guys make a really good point, And it goes back but, to what we were just talking about before. Okay. No, I, I mean, listen, there's going to be some stocks that are thrown out. Baby with the yeah. bathwater and just painted with the same brush. There's a lot of little metaphors there. That's almost really too many. Too many. Yeah, right. One but too the many. point there should is, be a limit. if you're like telling me sentence. that only 6% of their order book is affected by China, and this is a stock trading yes, just above a market multiple, and all that, you know, that's a name that if it gets back to 300, that's where you start picking at something like that. Go back to the quarter on October 24th. They reported their third quarter. They guided significantly higher for the remainder of the year. Their margins were... 13.2%. The street was looking for 11.4%. So if Boeing was if Boeing was at all concerned, they could have guided more in, in line. They could have guided lower. They did not. Now, to your point, I agree. They should be somewhat insulated from this. However, the market is selling first, asking questions later in terms of this trade tariff. There's a level where this gets very interesting. But the longer this goes on, and I happen to think the trade dispute, war, skirmish, the longer it goes on, the worse it gets. And I think it's going to go on for a while. All right. Check out shares of Square getting crushed today, down more than 10%. The stock is doing something it hasn't done since it went public. We'll explain. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Welcome to the jungle. It gets worse here every day. Yep, that's how investors have been feeling. And the chartmaster says he sees something that could mean it's about to get a lot worse than you think. He will explain. Plus, Guy Adamius stepping up to the plate to tell us the one name he says will be a home run into year-end. He'll give us the fast pitch. That and much more on Fast Money right after this break. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of L Brand sinking in the after-hours session after reporting earnings. Let's get to Courtney Reagan at headquarters with all the details. Hey, Court. Hi, Melissa. So some additional surprises from L Brands. You mentioned the stock is lower. The company cutting its annual dividend in half to $1.20. Before that, it had a 7% yield. The company says the new payout ratio is more consistent with its past, and it's going to use that $325 million to deleverage the balance sheet. Second, we knew Victoria's Secret CEO Jan Singer resigned after two years. L Brands today announced John Mihas will be the new CEO of that lingerie brand. He's currently president of Tory Burch. Third, L Brands upping its full year guidance to an adjusted 260 to 280. The street is at 264. Now, Morningstar analyst Jamie Katz, quote, didn't think the dividend cut would come this quickly, but says it's a prudent step for the board to take. Further, Katz says margin pressure remains significant, indicating either the product is failing to resonate or the pricing landscape remains competitive. Meantime, FBRB Riley analyst Susan Anderson says the dividend cut was likely expected by a lot of investors, given they'd yet to turn the performance 
performance around. Simeon Siegel at Instanet says L Brands is in the midst of figuring out their operational and financial turnaround. Investors will need to digest the implications of management and financial change, working to determine where revenues are going next. And then from Wedbush, Jen Redding also said that she likes the new CEO change, but it'll take nine to 12 months for any real change to be made. So expect negative margin pressure in the meantime. Melissa? All right, Court. Thanks, Courtney Reagan at headquarters. We've seen the biggest names in retail under pressure with only 36, 36 days till Christmas. Wow. Come on, Mel. Stop. And then you know what this week is? It's Wednesday gobble, is, is hump day, hump day, and then, then gobble, 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 gobble. It's like the best yeah. week of the whole entire Black holiday Friday, season Cyber right Monday. Now. Do you hate those terms too, guy? You hate almost yeah. everything about the holidays. No, I love the holidays. Wow. I don't like when people... How was your gobble gobble? Have a happy turkey. That makes me crazy. Put a smile on it. This is a happy week, man. Yeah. Best we week of the whole year. We should. I bet you has views on that. You're in L Brands, right? I'm not. Are you not? I, I was trading from the options side. Okay. I've had small position on. I don't have a position on now. And just to be clear, I still like the company on this pullback. Remember, they went 45% off the lows in August, up to the peak somewhere a, a couple weeks ago. I just pulled back 10%. I, I don't think Victoria's Secret is turned around overnight, um, but I do think that the core business is, is, is there. And I think this company's actually gone very cheap. All right. Well, we've already seen autos and housing get crushed. Our next guest says retail could be the next consumer space to fall. Chartmaster Carter Worth over at the Plasma to break it down. Hi, Carter. Well, so there's a lot of stocks holding out as the market has been collapsing, uh, big names. And last week, they all got smoked from Burlington to Ross Stores to TJX to Target, all down between 7 and 20 percent. And in principle, uh, it's always the last man standing that finally gets it. And that process is underway, if you think about it. What I wanted to look at is uh, the sector first. At one point... Uh, look at this spread. So this is the actual sector, which, of course, has Home Depot and Amazon in it, uh, versus the equal weight S&P 500 consumer discretion. At one point, there was 1,400 basis points of spread, meaning the average stock, the median stock was not performing, but the sector looked so great because Home Depot, uh, Amazon, and others were doing well. Now, of course, uh, the selling has gotten around to those names. So while this is converged, ultimately, this is likely to go negative, and I would expect the equal weight to get worse. A few charts, and then we can uh, go on from there. This is a great ETF. It's broad, 90-plus names. It has everything from Walmart to Amazon, uh, Costco, Kroger. It's got all the names like Tiffany and Ralph Lauren. And so XRT is the symbol. Here is the chart. And one thing that uh, sort of is inescapable is that basically you have the double top formation. But here is also the issue. As this was performing, all of this ascent, it really was never making much progress this way. So is it making you money? Or in fact, as a, as a proposition, it's opportunity cost that's really hurting you. Now, here's the more interesting thing. Take a look at this relative line. So again, the top is XRT. The bottom is the relative performance, what's on top. You could put anything in there, versus the S&P. And what we know is every single time that the XRT's relative performance line got up to this level, it has failed. And it failed again and again and again. This is literally what algorithms are all about. And to my eye, there's got, well, plenty more to go. It's just not, not, not good. Um, let's look at a few more. This is the sector itself. Again, actual weight. And it's hovering on the line. And I'm going to make the bet, right, that we're going to ultimately break the line. The way to figure that out is to not look at this, but look at the equal weight. Watch what's happened. Again, if we equal weight it, it's already happened, meaning without the influence of a few large cap, super cap performers, we've already broken trend. That's the bet for the sector overall. A stock picker too, and let's, uh, let's call it quits. Here's uh, Best Buy. I believe it has earnings coming up. 
it is on the line, it's on the line, it's on the line, it's on the line, and then of course it fails. Uh, not good. It's likely what's coming for other stocks. Totally switch it up, different name, Nike. Same circumstance, same principle. A well-defined uptrend. Not because I say so, your eyes are working, you can see what it's done, and what it's done is broken trend. Not a good setup, and then finally, if that's not a head and shoulders top, I don't know what it is. Not good. Something's wrong. Come on over, Carter. Our eyes were working. Not because he says so. I love that. In the charts. In the charts. You know, for a while, Carter, people were saying that retail, that there was an unwind of a long Amazon short bricks and mortar trade, and that right. that trade was unraveled, and so that has caused the most recent move uh, lower in retail. So I'm wondering, did the charts play out that way, and what did the charts indicate about that trade going forward? I mean, right. I mean is look, there any hope for Amazon? So there's, there's, there's trading sort of matters. Can you make a yeah. dollar here for an overbought or oversold condition? Can you find something that's breaking or not breaking? And then there's a structural issue. Sure, structurally we know that Amazon has changed a lot of things and it's probably going to keep on changing. Right? right now it's only half the size of Walmart in terms of the business it does. But I think the, the important thing is this, that decay doesn't happen all at once. First in the market or in consumer you lose autos or you lose housing or we lost semis or you lose banks. But eventually the selling gets around to everything. As we're seeing now, it's gotten around Amazon. It's gotten around to Netflix. It's, it's basically finding, and what's, you guys were talking about this before, your sugar water or fizzy water, Money's hiding in a few names, and at some point, they go after those as well. Can you put your economist cap on quickly? Do you believe this sell-off in retail? Does it mean anything about the consumer? Or is just just a rotation well, out I, of these Well, I would names? say it has to be that are we going to 1% unemployment or 2 meaning It's probably all peak, right, that it's as good as it could, could get, and that the market is now saying, yes, maybe this is, uh, this is as good as it gets, and that you can't, uh, you can't comp these numbers month, you know, year over year, and that the valuations don't support it. So, Carter, you know, you just put up a bunch of names, but you just did, you did mention Amazon, and we know how Home Depot acted a couple weeks ago, we know how Walmart acted last week. Those are the mega cap ones. They all just acted horrendously right. to, Amazon did have bad news, but does that just not pretend well for the just well, and, everything and, that's and you're referring just a very, an old-fashioned, you know, act well. One could say, how scientific is that? It doesn't yeah. act, but that's a great phrase. It's a yeah. technical phrase. It doesn't act well. They know it in sports. He's not playing well. Let's get him out. They don't act well. The tape is heavy. Something's not right. All right. Carter, thank you. Thank you. Carter Braxmore of Cornerstone Macro. Well, I, I think Carter makes a, a great point how the numbers on the retail side, 1% one, 1 unemployment, what's already priced in. Uh, but speaking of acting well, I, I just think retail's acted so poorly going into a holiday season where it totally outperformed the S&P from Black Friday, uh, Cyber Monday, gobble, gobble, by the way, guy, I'm sure if no one's said that to you yet. Um, but the bottom line here is I actually think retail is going to have a great holiday season. I said it two weeks ago. I said it two months ago. Do you think ago. it's discounters, I, I though? Will they dominate, or do you think that there's a broader picture than that? I mean, like, for instance, I like Ross stores. I like TJ Maxx, obviously discounters. I love Target. I think because of their diversity, that's a good name as well. And it's pulled down because of Walmart. Since that Walmart numbers, they, Walmart was over 100. Target's been down, 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 down. I think that creates opportunity. We'll find out very soon. Well, it's a good question. And I think the, the, the 
kind of the demographic that's been most helped out by wage gains is absolutely the target and Walmart shopper. Uh, and I think it does bode well for them. But I think some parts of discretionary are going to do very well. And again, these are companies that have actually given you decent guidance in the last numbers. Um, I don't think they've been off. Amazon did not. Guys, Amazon right. guided right. revenues down 5% right. into their holiday, like, strong quarter. And I'll just make one point. You know, all these companies, Target, Walmart, they're all doing better in e-commerce. Amazon was do- uh, dominating, getting every other dollar of new growth there. Now we're starting to see it. That's good for everybody it else. It is. It, well, maybe it's just less profitable for everyone else. Everyone has to match Look at on Macy's. all the free that's shipping and all that did. sort I think of that stuff. Was, I think that's down. in the price. That's what we assumed, that their margins were going to zero. Well, let's see what Target puts up tomorrow but it's morning. But who has the, the margins reacts. who doesn't? Target has margins. Guys, Walmart does not. These guys are tripping each over, uh, over each other to get you your stuff that you bought like an hour later. You know, I mean, this is not profitable sales. We'll see. Coming up. Stock's seeing red again today as big tech dragged, it, dragged down the market. But Guy here has one name he says could see a major year-end rally. He'll tell us what it is. Plus, the stocks sell off. Investors are worried the high-yield market could be signaling more pain ahead. How big of a threat is corporate debt? We'll explain when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another dismal day for the markets. The Dow tumbling 400 points and along with the S&P 500 erasing all the gains for the month. Tech and consumer discretionary stocks dragging down the market with only two sectors in the green. Utilities ending the best, uh, ending the day as the best performing sector. But despite today's sell-off, Guy is looking at one stock that could be poised for a year-end rally. He's over at the Plasma to break down his fast pitch. Guy. Hi, everybody. Hi. Guy here at the Smart Board. And we're going we're gonna to do a power pitch. I didn't have the mitt today. I apologize for that, but we're going to do Valero, symbol is VLO. And you'll say, what are you talking about? Refiners have been grim death. And you're right. Valero, after making, I think, an all-time high of 127, is now trading $80. That's a significant sell-off, folks. But you know what? I happen to think the sell-off is significantly overdone. Number two, crack spreads are not nearly as favorable as they were four or five months ago. But they haven't totally collapsed yet either. Not nearly as much as the stock would suggest. So to me, the crack spread is still somewhat favorable. And the last one, recent upgrade at Credit Suisse on November 1st. They like it as well. Now, the stock has sold off recently on the back of that. But I think at this level, it's very interesting. Let's put up a chart, please. And you will see, as Dan just told me, you know, we're at levels that we last saw back in the fall of last year. So there's a very good chance around this $76, $77 level where we basically are, this stock gets very tradable. So although obviously energy's been under tremendous pressure, in my opinion, valuation, sell-off being overdone, still somewhat favorable crack spreads, Valero makes sense at this level. We can all see how bad that line. That line's oh. not bad. So we don't bad, need any criticism. That's not even a line. Do we That's have any support. questions for guys? I do. Okay. I do. Go ahead, Tim. Guy, I, I'm, I'm actually kind of in favor. I'm, this is a tease to how I'm going to vote. So you might have one vote. But um, talk about either crack spreads or, or the dynamic here where the cheaper oil gets, the better it gets for refiners. And remember that they were big outperformers the last time oil was trading off. It should. And you get, you know, there's a seasonality factor that should actually start to work for them as well. But it hasn't worked out because I think what's happened is 
people that so much gains in the refiners to Soro Valero that I think they're taking money off the table. They're selling first, asking questions later. Look, the environment is not nearly as favorable, I think, to your point, but it's not nearly as dire as this move suggests. So although I think the sell-off is somewhat justified, it's not justified down to this level, 80 bucks. Guy, a real quick question. Mark Fisher was on today and he was talking about he thinks oil has hit, basically call it a bottom, and there's more room to the upside. Do you agree with that at all or or not not with this Valero call? This, I need a quick answer here, but I'll yeah. say this quickly because that's what only time has for. But I'll say this. The move to the upside in that gas, that's why I think we saw that significant move lower in crude. I think energy traders got themselves off sides in that gas, and that's why you saw the precipitous sell-off in crude oil. They had the trade on backwards. Time to vote. Are you buying or selling Guy's pitch on Valero? Pete Najarian, what do you say? He's very convincing. I put Guy as a winner. Guy is a winner. Oh. Winner, 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 winner. Is that Guy? That's yeah. Guy. All right. There you are. Handsome fellow. Yeah, I agree with Guy. He's definitely Wow. Thumbs up, buddy. Thumbs up. Dan's going to vote it down. I don't disagree with Guy because I don't know much about Valero, but I just think we're in a market right now. When you see the (laughs) underlying commodity move the way it did and this stock move that way, I don't know why you have to try to be a hero and catch a falling knife here. Two buys, one sell. Two oh, buys, sad. Guy. That's oh, not sad. bad. He's sad. But Look, are you at bad. home buying Guy's pitch for Valero? He's really sad. So go vote. At CNBC Fast Money is where the poll is. We will reveal the results later in the show. Not 78% so far say no, but there's still time to vote. Plus, the Bitcoin horror show continues as the crypto crack below 5,000 for the first time in more than a year. Can anything stop the bleeding? The traders will weigh in. More Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Corporate debt levels are rising to record levels and beginning to spook investors. So is a major crisis ahead? Our Mike Santoli is live at the NYSE with more on that. Hey, Mike. Hi, Melissa. I think it's certainly too soon to say a major crisis is ahead, but you can understand why there's anxiety building up around corporate debt levels and also the behavior of the corporate bond market. The level of corporate debt right now as a ratio uh, to GDP is pretty much as high as it's ever been. And those previous peaks that you might see on the chart at about 45 percent of GDP uh, are pretty much coinciding with peaks before we had recessions. And now you have uh, the possibility that the corporate market's going to become less generous, right? You have spreads going up, investors demanding higher yields to take on the risk of especially lower investment grade debt, like triple B rated. Uh, That has gone up a lot recently. That's where GE debt is. Of course, a lot of the anxiety is surrounding GE and the possibility of those bonds being downgraded. But I do think you have to step back and take a longer-term perspective on exactly where we are in terms of spreads. If you look way back toward the year 2000, you can barely see this increase in spreads. It seems like it's pretty premature to think that it's uh, something that the markets can't handle uh, at this point, especially when you consider a very tiny percentage of corporate debt is coming due in the next year or so. It's really two to three years out that you would have kind of that reckoning. Can they refinance? Can they pay off the debt? So to me, it's one headwind for valuations. It shows you stocks. Uh, Stockholders are definitely gravitating toward companies with less debt because they're worried about this. But right now, it just seems like one more pinch to margins and maybe a little bit of a winnowing of winners and losers versus any kind of a crisis that would spill into the real economy, guys. Two more years away for when the debt reckoning happens. That seems to coincide with the, when most people are calling for a recession. If they are calling for a recession, they're saying 2020. That's not good timing. Well, exactly, Melissa. And, and by the way, recession is when this really starts to hit. Uh, the cash flows right now without a recession seem like they're sufficient to service this debt level. All right. Mike, thanks. Mike Santoli at the New York Stock Exchange. Should we be worried? 
Well, I'll tell you what, high yields at 29-month lows. It's getting mauled. I was talking to a trader before the show. It, basically, his quote was, it's getting mauled. So the bottom line is the key is, you know, really, it's about the credits, though. So high yield, you can understand in this environment. There's some corporates that borrowed a lot of debt, and that number in terms of corporate debt to either the GDP, et cetera, a lot of these guys did it at zero rates, and they did it because of zero rates. And I, I don't know that that's as big of a burden as that m- number might show. All right. For more on this, uh, let's bring in Larry McDonald, the founder of the Bear Traps Report and a CNBC contributor. So with market uh, rumors swirling, we thought this would be the perfect time to play a little fact or fiction debt crisis <laughs> style. Games with Larry. Um, nice. And since Guy is here, I'm going to explain the rules, even though it's a very straightforward game. I'll give Larry, a, I'll, sure I'll, I will give a statement. Larry will tell us if it is fact or fiction. Ready? We will play this game now. All right. First up, a corporate debt crisis is coming. Larry, is this fact or fiction? Fact, but the Fed, with a little softening, can put it off for another six months. But fact, we're in the throes of one now. So what are you saying? I mean, why do you say that we are in the throes of one right now? And, and what does that portend in terms of the market? Well, you're starting to see for the first time in a long time, deals get hung on the loan level. So leverage loans which that's typically the highest part of the capital structure. You shouldn't see deals getting hung. And I've talked to a couple of bankers in the last week, so you're getting hung deals there. That's mm-hmm. reminiscent of about 2007. But the, the supply of loans and the amount of deals is nowhere near that level, so I don't want to say, say it's like 2007. Right. But that's your first warning sign. And then the price discovery on investment-grade bonds, that price discovery relative to loans, is, is spectacular. In other words, we're seeing real price discovery in investment-grade bonds. Uh, but the loans haven't really, really marked down as much yet. So we're, that means you're in the, probably the first, second innings of a big problem. But you just said we're, we are in the throes. Yeah. In the throes of what? Investment-grade uh, credit crisis. I mean, you're really... We're in a credit crisis now. An investment-grade... Like, it's, you're looking at uh, real carnage, especially like Europe today. Barclays, European banks, from a global, from a global perspective... We're not at uh, 2007 levels, but we're in the throes of like the worst credit crisis we've had since 2011. Do you think this is liquidity? In other words, they're they're one and the yeah. same. Often, liquidity dries up if, as credit deteriorates. But I mean, you know, I realize that Italian bonds are, bonds are blowing out. I realize that there's you know some sovereign issues here and there. But AAA credit is 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 blowing out, blowing out globally. But once again, you know, the Fed. What we saw in 2015 and 16, they promised us eight rate hikes. They only delivered two. And uh, whenever we've seen this type of, this is really the beast in the market is trying to break the Fed over its knee. And in the past, the Fed has pushed that policy path a little bit off, and that's softened things. Let's and that's talk a little bit more about the next statement, which has to do with the Fed. The Fed is to blame. You mentioned the Fed already. Is this fact or fiction? Guy, don't answer this question. I didn't say she's looking at Larry. She's not looking at me. I don't like to look at Guy when I'm having, you know, when there's a guest on set. <laughs> period. Yeah, period. But Larry, fact or fiction? Uh, the Fed, Fed, Fed any fact, but Fed, ECB, Bank of Japan, Bank Central of Central banks in general. Uh, you just kept interest rates too low for too long. People reached, reached, reached into investment grade bonds. You know, deals were done that shouldn't have been done. And now we have a 25% move lower in oil in five weeks, and all of a sudden it, it's, it's real selling. Last year, are dividends safe? Fact or fiction? Uh, they're in certain sectors, consumer staples. We love the staples here. They're safe in the energy space. You're seeing real selling on, in the equities because the dividends are not safe. But this is spectacular because think about it. You've got 
all this money in terms of passive asset management on the equity side that everybody's been talking about, a trillion bucks coming out of FANGs, and then investment grade bonds, investment grade uh, on the triple B. So that triple B bucket is 2.5 trillion. 2.5 trillion of triple Bs. The high yield market as a whole is only 1.4 trillion. So that's a massive crossover. So that means that the, the dividends in the S&P, because of all that leverage, are not as safe as they were in previous cycles. So you're t I think you could have a 10, well, probably a 20 to 30 percent bounce from here in the staples as, as people really look for those safest dividends within the S&P. Are the safe dividends, when you look at technology, though, does that count as safe dividend? When you look at the balance sheet, they've got virtually, in many cases, no debt. Yeah. All this cash. So they're pretty safe, wouldn't you say, as well, or no? Well, it, 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 I, there are some dividends payers. In right. This, like if, the Microsofts. I, the, I yeah, mean, Microsoft, Intel, those are, those are pretty safe dividends. Okay. Yeah. But uh, I, I, just, I just think that if you look at 1999-2000, that move, when that rotation out of tech, you're talking about a trillion bucks that has to go somewhere. It, it's going to move into value, into, into, into staples. And uh, in 1999-2000, staples were up 30% in six months. Mm -hmm. Larry, thank you. Larry McDonald, Bear much. Traps Report, and a CNBC contributor. I was talking to Peter Bookfar, another CNBC book. contributor today. Book, the book. Um, and he was saying that 40%, 40 of Russell 2000 debt is floating, is floating rate debt, which means obviously that the rates get ratcheted up every single time the Fed raises interest rates. Yeah. yeah. And it's just going to float along with the markets. I mean, I, that, that's kind of a lot of exposure. And look at the IWM underperforming. So again, you know, high yield, small cap, these are the things most exposed in a credit crisis. Yeah, I would just make one point. You know, Larry just blamed, said the Fed will be responsible when we get to this next point. Same thing happened in the late 90s. Same thing happened in the lead up to 2007. And when you think about it, everybody could put their finger on what the thing was that was going to make our economy go into a recession and subsequently have the S&P 500 drop 50% in each time. Larry's putting his finger on it right now. The problem you had back then is the eventuality engaging that, right? No one could actually figure out we blame what the Fed the or blame the investors, though? I, I mean, you know, no, 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 but what I'm saying is, stuff. well, the Fed kept yeah, the interest you rates too long. the Fed for buying on, something Tim. if you're an institutional investor but, and you bought debt that was too expensive. Tim, Tim, Tim. <laughs> but we're, what we're saying is too low for too long. In each of those instances, the Fed was able to get Fed funds rate <laughs> back to 6% in 2000 and 5% in 2007. They can't even get above 2% right now without right. causing a spasm in the market. We would like to markets. see 3% of Fed funds so we can go back down to one and a half. That's where we are. Still ahead. Payment stocks getting pummeled as the tech sector continues to roll over. And traders are betting on an even bigger sell-off for one of those names. We'll tell you what that is. Plus, let's check out our Kramer cam tonight on Mad. Jim is doing a deep dive on what it'll take to get the market back on its feet. Catch that at the top of the hour. We're live at the NASDAQ and Times Square. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Bitcoin getting a beatdown today, falling below 5,000 for the first time in more than a year, down another 300 bucks in the past hour. After months of relatively quiet trading, the cryptocurrency taking a turn for the worse, now down 25% in just the past week, now down more than 62% on the year. So can anything save the cryptocurrency? Is there more pain ahead? I, my answer would be more pain ahead. I, I think this was a place that people were using as speculation, and now all of a sudden the speculation money is going other places. And the problem for them is it might be in the cannabis space, but obviously we're seeing that come yeah. down as well. So those are similar dollars, in my opinion. So because of that, I don't think we're going to see that money in Bitcoin that everybody's looking for. I don't know where how much further it goes, but I think it goes much further from here. 
This is the first time Bitcoin has really seen a bear market in the broader asset classes. I realize we've had pullbacks, but I mean, you can imagine we're talking about this all night, all last month. We're below the 200 day. We've been below the 200 day. Where are you going to go after? You're going to go after places that have no liquidity. This doesn't trade. Despite what anybody says, it's the most liquid name out there. There's no liquidity out there in this name in a market like this, and it's going to get worse. Yeah, I would just say this. The most frustrating thing about the price action over the last few months is that one of the big bull cases was the, was this store of value. And here we are. We've had this, um, you know, very uh, volatile equity yeah. market here in the U.S., but we've also seen Asia equity markets and a lot of other risk assets very volatile in 2018. And it really hasn't stored a whole heck of a lot of value, um, especially if you were pegging it to 6,000 for five months, you know, throughout the year. Well, it just broke in a big way. So that's a little disappointing, I think, for Bitcoin bulls. Just last week, Fundstrat lowered its year-end price target on Bitcoin. Tom Lee. To 15,000 from 25,000. <laughs> it's a significant drop. Meaning in a month and a half. So... Um, speaking of the payment space, shares of Square getting slammed today, falling below its 200-day moving average, hitting its lowest level since July. That sent the options market into a frenzy. So what'd you see, Dan? Yeah. So today, you know, it's interesting on a day like today when you see the stock close on its dead lows down 11% or so. But it was actually really call volume that was one and a half times of puts, and actually nine of the most 10 active strikes were a lot of calls. Now, what I kind of think I saw there were a lot of people closing out of some bets that were above the market, and they're saying there's a very low probability of those calls being in the money in the next few weeks. Um, But there was one trade that kind of caught my eye. It was the second most active strike on the day, and it looked like there was an accumulation of the January 50 puts, about 3,500 traded for about a buck 60 in small lots. That is not just somebody going out and making a bet down there, but it's just kind of interesting to get a sense for levels where there's some interest um, in some put protection. Um, And here's a chart since it's 2015 IPO. Obviously, this thing was a moonshot straight up. It topped out at about 100 bucks. Look at that line. That's 50 bucks. That seems like maybe, you know, an important technical level that some uh, holders of the stock may want protection below. Who knows? Well, we're off this Friday. That would be the day after Gobble Gobble Day, two days after Hump Day. Um, but for Washington's action, be sure to check out the next full show, and that will be next Friday at 5.30 right. p.m. Eastern yeah. Time. Up next, Final Trades. Welcome back to Fast. You know what guy Adami listened to when he's stuck in the car for like eight hours? No, what the, in the snow in New Jersey for six hours. Celine Dion, because Guy is all by himself on his wow. Valero pitch. 70% more than of our Twitter followers. It was horrible. It's more than 70. If it's worse than 70, then it's If it's over 70, it's Celine. Sub 70, it's a Braxton. It's horrible. Got it. Final trade, Pete. Hey, pal, I like this name. I think this name's ready to bounce off this 80 level. Tim. Coca-Cola, I think you guys are, are completely wrong on this one. It's a new company. The franchising is done. They're actually growing profits. They're breaking out. Dan. Uh, it's trading at 23 times, and it just rallied 10% the straight line. I would not Break buy it on Tim's recommendation. Get a split screen in the final trade. Celine Dion's like nails on a chalkboard. Valero, so move there. All right. See you back here tomorrow at 5. Mad Money starts right now.